Welcome to Dispatch in Depth, where we give you the stories behind the science of emergency dispatch. This is an official podcast of the International Academies of Emergency Dispatch, the world's leading authority in dispatch science. I'm your host, Becca Barris, writer and copy editor for the Journal of Emergency Dispatch. In each episode, we'll be bringing you stories of the fascinating people who work in this area. We'll give you their backstory, including how they got there, what they're working on, and what drew them to the field. These are people who represent the cutting edge in emergency dispatch, and I hope you'll join us to hear more about them. Welcome to Dispatch In-Depth. Have you ever wished that the police priority dispatch system was just a little more flexible? After all, your center's needs are as unique as the area and people you serve. Well, good news. It's more adaptable than you think. Joining us today to talk about personalizing the police protocol is Kate Welch, a quality assurance officer and coordinator at Manatee County Sheriff's Office in Florida. She has a bachelor's in criminology and has been call taking and dispatching for 10 years now. She's also been a guest on the podcast in an episode called In Short Supply, talking about recruitment and retention. Welcome back, Kate. Hi, glad to be back. It's been two years. It's been two years, which is so crazy. I mean, a a couple things have happened in the past two years, I think. At least two, maybe three things happened. Only two or three. You presented at Navigator. That was pretty exciting. It was really good this past year. Thank you. Thank you. I was very nervous. It was my first time presenting a navigator, so there was a bit of a buildup, so I was very glad that it was like a small little session for my first one. It was just a little room, and so the people were really good, though, in the class. It was good participation, I feel like. Good. Would you recommend speaking at navigator to listeners? I would, yeah. Okay, yeah. Maybe not for you again, for a while. <laughs> no. <laughs> just- I'm really glad that I did it. I was actually supposed to be the secondary speaker. But my director, who was supposed to be the primary at the last minute, was not able to go. So that was like, okay. so my first time doing I really had to just dive in. And it was good. I mean, I really enjoyed teaching. And so I'm glad that I did it. But I'm not going this year, unfortunately. So, Kate, for people who haven't listened to the other episode you were in, give us a quick rundown of your career path. Okay, so I actually started I have a really fun start date with I work for the sheriff's office. So I work in a secondary PSAP. So the primary PSAP is 911. And then I work for the sheriff's office, which is one of the secondary PSAPs for our county. And so I started on 11, 12, 13, which is a super fun start date. So I started just like everybody else came in the room, fresh green, had never worked in public safety before, had never been in customer service in this aspect before. Was still in college, so I took it slow when it came to training. We can start training after two years, but I did like three and a half before I started because I still was trying to get my bachelor's degree and was a little overwhelmed with school and everything. So as soon as I started training, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to do this forever. This is my career. Love it. Fell in love. And so started doing that like end of 2016, beginning of 2017, and then got promoted to supervisor the same year. And then June of 2019 was when I was promoted into admin. I've been doing this training coordinator and then quality assurance since June of 2019. And I love it. It's very busy. It gets really hectic, 
but I do quite love it. So yeah, and we've been trying to schedule this recording since Navigator, since Navigator. in April. Yeah, Navigator. no, it's so great because I'll email you and be like, "Hey, do you have any time coming up?" And you're like, "Actually, we're training a zillion people, which is awesome, <laughs> which is so great to hear in any dispatch center." It's not even a zillion people. It's just our problem right now is like we've been hosting academies but they're like like maybe two people oh yeah and so that's the part that sucks like we have quite a few trainees on the floor wait let me look one two three four we have five right now that are on the floor which is a good amount for us but they were all it was like three academies so it was like five people in three academies so it that's our problem right now is we we are struggling with people getting hired we have like not enough applicants. Yeah. So what are you doing about that? I know that you said you were doing a spooktacular not too long ago. Yes. So we call it a spooktactical. Spooktactical. Uh, we just did it this past Thursday. Cool. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. We did a pirate theme. Nice. So myself and then three others who work in obviously with me in dispatch. We all dress up as pirates. The candy, like where we put the candy, we bought this or we borrowed this big like coffin, <gasps> this wooden coffin. What? And we put all the candy in there. And so that was super fun. The kids were really cute. We had a couple of games. We gave a bunch of kids like temporary tattoos. And so they had a lot of fun. It was really good because we get to see a lot of people and they know who we are. You know, that you know, how do you work for the sheriff's office? You know, dispatch this is what we do. So it's a good, it's a good one. I love doing it. This is our second year doing it. We're trying to do more recruiting. My director, Carrie Flynn, she just went to a recruiting event. So we're starting to try to reach out more to like high schools or college level. Yeah. Just because we just don't have any applicants. And that's our, just our problem is we, we can get people who, cause we still use critical, mm -hmm. which is people when they apply, they take a test basically. And I know our neighboring agency, Sarasota, they used to use it. I don't believe they use it anymore. Um, but we still use it because our philosophy is like, if you can't pass critical, then, you know, it's going to be really hard for you in dispatch. But and that's our problem is a lot of people can't get past critical. And we even halved it. Like we used to have, I think, six or seven categories they had to pass. And now it's like three. So we've definitely lowered the bar and people are still are not passing. So. That's where we're at now. We did have someone just finished radio, though. Someone <gasps> just finished radio, which is exciting. Yay! That is so exciting. Uh, that's Super so exciting. exciting. Shout out to Kelly Carr. Way to go, Kelly. You're the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys are medical police, obviously, and fire? Or just police. Just nope, police. Because you're a sheriff's office. Yeah. That's psh, I knew right. that. Yeah, we do just police, thankfully. I love, I love doing police. EPD and EFD, shout out to those people because that's a hard one. They're just different. All of the protocols are different. So obviously you're a training coordinator. Was there any sort of inspiration on putting together this training on personalizing the police protocols outside of, you know, the obvious like people in your center who were like, why do we have to ask all these questions or callers calling in being like, why are you asking me all these questions? Yeah, yeah. Part of it was... Sometimes there's not a lot of EPD taught at Navigator because there's there's a lot of EMD, a lot of medical. And so I don't remember who reached out to Carrie. might have been Dave Warner reached out and was like, is there anything that you can do police wise that you can teach? And so we sometimes run into, you know, people who, you know, they've got not great 
customer service. And sometimes people don't realize that we have local definitions that we can use to slice some stuff out of EPDs. Same with like jurisdictionally approved options. We just went to Palmetto Police Department, myself and Kyle. They just got EPD. So they're starting to use it. And so we talked to them about inappropriate clarifiers and questions in an inappropriate area and what we're doing when you ask the questions exactly as written. And so Maria, they're basically like their manager. I don't think she knew about like their jurisdictionally approved questions because we usually go over them in our DRC meetings. But I don't think she understood them because she didn't have the EPD. And so now that she does, now she can actually be a part of that process now that her people are using it. I think for us, it was like, we just knew that this is stuff that people maybe didn't know about or struggled with. And so we were like, I feel like this is a good topic to cover with people. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, I mean, let's dive into it. What are the jurisdictionally approved options? What, like, what are things that people should know about? Right. So with jurisdictionally approved, what that means is that there are some questions in the protocol where if it doesn't fit for your agency, there are some where you have the option to turn them on and off. And so it's not every question because obviously the weapons question is going to be there. Description questions are going to be there. But there are some that you can go in the background and turn off. And this is for like administration and the people who do the background. But even if you're line level staff or a supervisor who doesn't have access to what's called admin utility, you can always tell your admin about it or tell the person who does the background with EPD or EMD, EFD, that it's available because for us, we love it because there's a bunch of questions that we feel are not necessary to the protocol. So we turn it off. And then there's some that we have turned on because we do feel like it's necessary but how it goes is we if you haven't heard of drc which is dispatch review committee we just had the big version 7 update for our agency and so we had a a lengthy drc meeting where we reviewed all the updates to every protocol that we had which was a ton and so we basically decide together which ones we like which ones we don't like that we can turn on or off we vote on it and so you know there was like 80 percent, or not 80 but maybe like 70 percent. we were like yeah these ones we can turn off but then there's you know 30 percent where we're like no we want to keep those on we feel like that adds value to this protocol sequence so you take it to the dsc which is the dispatch steering committee And then they vote obviously yay or nay to what we've decided. And so this last one, most of the stuff that we proposed from the DRC was approved. There was some stuff that they disagreed with. So ultimately it was kept in the protocol, which is the whole process, right? That's the whole process of DRC, DSC, but admin utility uh, in my slideshow, we were like your new best friend, admin utility, because it really is. If you know that it's there, and you know that you can turn it on or off, it can save you some of that pain when you ask that question because you're like, this doesn't make any sense for us. If it doesn't, that means you probably can turn it off, which helps the people on the floor because then they're like, this question, you know, I feel like this question is something we don't need, and if it is something that's jurisdictionally approved then you can turn off. And it's the same with instructions. There's also JAIs. So they're JAQs and JAIs. 
cues or questions, eyes or instructions. You're able to turn those on and off. So I do have a how-to that I created. I know that they didn't want us to publish it like in the PowerPoint, but if anyone needs assistance with that, we do that a lot, but it's a good resource. It's a really good resource. It's a great resource. So some examples of that are like on Protocol 103 Administrative, which is lost or found property, messages, transports. In the card sets, the questions are purple. And yes. I know that not not every center has card sets, right? And so is the text purple in ProQA if it's a JAQ? It is, yes. So if you're if you're going through a protocol and you're like, oh, this question doesn't quite make sense. I mean, obviously read it at the time, but then talk to your supervisor or talk to admin and say, hey, I was talking with someone who needed an escort somewhere, but it wasn't appropriate to get the person's vehicle description. And also how often do we get this call? So yeah, just checking it out, seeing how often it's used, seeing what value it brings. Yeah. Because that feedback is important because I think for floor people, for people who are working and they're the ones who sit behind the desk and they're the ones utilizing the protocol, it's important to understand that they do have power in how some of these protocols are utilized because of, you know, admin utility. And then obviously we're going to get to local definitions and then obviously customer service and stuff. And they have the power to make it less awkward. Yeah. Because I know that that's how a lot of people feel, especially in the very beginning, when you're first starting to use EPD or EMD or EFD. If you're not used to kind of like reading a script, it's very robotic and some questions may not make sense, but you can make it make sense with the way that you use it. So they have the power. The feedback is super important. Yeah. I love that. Make it make sense. Yeah. And EPD is great. It's one of those things where We find that the people who were here before the protocol were the hardest ones to get acclimated, but they're also like the best at using it. And then we find that our new people, like myself, when I came in, we had just gotten it two years prior. So I started in 2013. We got it in 2011. Mm -hmm. So by the time I started, I've only ever known ProQA. And same with our new people. And the people who've only ever used ProQA love ProQA. Because it's right in front of you. You're never going to forget anything. It helps liability-wise. You're covered through the academy as well as through your agency. If you're utilizing the protocol correctly, it's great. It's really, really good. And so when you know you have these resources like admin utility, it makes it even better. Yeah. So let's talk about some local definitions. What does that mean? What does that look like? So this is another thing that can actually help wherever you work for it, whether it's like a sheriff's office or like the county 911 Defining these things can change the way that the protocol is pushed out. So like time lapse for my agency, obviously in progress is right now. It's happening right now. You're, you know, it's a, if there's a disturbance and someone's fighting, they're currently fighting. Our just occurred is 15 minutes. So up to it just happened to like 15 minutes. That's what just occurred is. And then our just occurred is just happened to 29 minutes. And then our past is 30 and up. And so that can help to find, because if something's passed, less questions pop up because it's a cold call. So if your agency defines past as like 15 minutes, because I know there's some agencies who do 15, then it changes the question sequence. Less questions pop up for you to ask. So if your agency can define it for you, once you hit that cold call, less questions are there. Same with like the difference between a child and an adult, right? So when we're talking about missing persons, 
obviously if it's an adult that has developmental delays and you know it's a little bit different depending on what your agency's definition of a child is there's going to be more questions than if it's like an adult who is fine mentally physically and we get a lot of those like my son didn't come home and we're like okay well you know tell me exactly what happened and they're like well they went out with their friends and I'm like, okay. And then you get to the question, how old is the person? And they're like, oh, they're 26. And you're like, well, they probably just had a really good time last night. You know, yeah. but when you can define age, same with at-risk age. So elderly for us, I think is 65 and up and then young 12 and under is at risk for us, or maybe it's 13 and under. But when that's defined within your agency, again, it changes those questions. If it doesn't meet the criteria in those local definitions, the questions are different. So if your agency is like, oh, you know, at risk is going to be 12 and under, then anything above that is just going to be, you know, let's say a regular missing person. They're just a juvenile and maybe they're, you know, multiple repeat offender. And so when those things are defined, it just makes it a little bit easier. And then same with uh, special locations. Special locations could be things like schools. It could be... Addresses where there's like a history of like violence against like first responders and things like that. That's also a, a very helpful thing. Yeah, for sure. One of the things that Navigator, after ta obviously talking about admin utility and then those local definitions, another thing we talked about was some of those resources that you can use in ProQA. Mm -hmm. Some people don't realize sometimes, let's say you're in case entry and you're asking somebody, tell me exactly what happened. And, you know, a lot of people will word vomit. And if someone starts to give you a description, there is a person, like a little red guy at the top that you can click on. So you can automatically add that description in then. So then when you get to the question of, I need to get the suspect's description, you can already select NA already obtained. So you don't have to ask that question. So it makes it something obvious, which saves you time. Because one thing you don't want to do is make a caller repeat themselves if it's unnecessary to make them repeat themselves. And this goes back to, to making the protocol easier for you as a user to use. Because if someone spontaneously provides something and you gather it then and there, when you get to those questions later on, they're already answered. You don't have to continue to try to ask them. You can just move right on, right on down the line to the very next question. Yeah. And everyone involved is less frustrated yes. than they would be. Yeah. Because you have some callers who don't really care. We have, you know, frequent flyers who will call over and over again. They already know the deal. You know, they're already like, this is my address. Here's my address verified. Here's my phone number. Here's my phone number verified. Here's my name. And here's exactly what happened. Like they know. Yeah. But then you do have callers who are like, why are you asking me these questions? Just get someone here. And so some of this stuff that you can use before, like we're talking about shunting as well, you know, but if you're taking a call and it, it starts out, like the example we used was like, it starts out as a disturbance. You know, some people are vague, you know, they'll say, I'm fighting with this guy, da, 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 da. but then you get a couple of key questions in, right? And then they go, my dad just doesn't understand me, right? And now we have to shunt because if you don't, that's a big deviation on the Q side is because when you should have shunted, you didn't. And so, again, that's just understanding, you know, you have that bar across the top. 
that where you can click it and then you can just move right along to the next one. So it helps with that customer service side of things. Smoothly, smoothly doing it. Yes. When I was first learning how to drive, one of my driving instructors was like, listen, your goal as a driver is to make the ride as smooth as possible for you and the other drivers and the people in the car with you. And that really stuck with me. And that's the same kind of concept for emergency calls, right? Police calls. It's potentially perilous. So what you're trying to do is make it as smooth as possible for everyone involved. Oh, yeah. And it can be hard because you do have some people who will continuously just berate you or say, you know, why are you asking me all these questions? Why are you doing this? Just get someone here. And my director, Carrie Flint, she really hates it when our people say, ma'am, I have to ask these questions or I'm required to ask these questions. Because what that does is that takes the value of it away because it sounds like I don't have faith in the protocol because I'm saying I have to ask them. So, you know, we talk about what's a different way to tell a caller, you know, that you're, you are required to ask these questions. And a lot of times, you know, we just, you acknowledge that they're frustrated. You know, ma'am, I understand that you're frustrated with our questions. These are designed for officer safety and for your safety. So just bear with me here. I'm going to ask you a couple more questions. If you don't know the answer, that's okay. That way you kind of soften the blow of it as opposed to just being like, I have to ask these questions because then the caller is like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to answer the questions. You know, it's like a reactive thing. When you're reactive, they're going to get even more reactive. And then you just keep going up until you know, one of them yells, either the caller or the call taker. Mm-hmm. And like if the person I'm talking to doesn't know why they're asking me the questions and they're acting like it's this big trial, I'm not going to answer the questions. I'm going to be like, why is my time being wasted? Exactly. Exactly. So one of the things we talked about in Navigator was like, sometimes it's hard to know what to say or what to do. And then I asked people if they could tell me what the ma'am alarm is, which I don't think anyone raised their hand because I don't think many people knew that. I actually learned what this was called. I knew that this was a thing, but I didn't know what it was called. And I have called it ever since. I took the CCM course. And one of the ladies that was in my group project that you have to do in CCM, which if anyone has not taken CCM, you should absolutely take it. It's a wonderful course. I learned a lot in that class. And it's like six months-ish, a little less than six months. And it's really great. But anyways, so she called it the mam alarm. And I've called it that ever since. And this is what it is. Ma'am, 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 ma'am. It's just someone going, ma'am, 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 ma'am. I hate that. Because you have to think. I hate it too. And you have to think about when you're talking to a caller, if your name is Becca, are you going to hear Becca or ma'am? Right? You might hear ma'am. But if you're in that like hysteria threshold and I'm trying to bring you back down to earth, you're going to hear your name better than you're going to hear ma'am. Also, some people don't like being called ma'am or sir. So I'm from Louisiana and you say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. You call your bosses Mr. Mrs. and stuff. And so when I first started working in Florida here at this agency, I called my boss. My original supervisor's name was Jill and I called her Miss Jill. And she was like, no, we're not doing that. We're <laughs> not like, doing no, that. I'm being so like, polite and respectful. <laughs> yes. And, but some people don't like it. So there's some people who don't even like to be called ma'am. So as soon as you learn their name, that usually gets people in tune with you. But obviously taking the second to actually listen to people when they talk. And you actively listen to people, not just letting the words go in your ear, but processing it, understanding what someone's saying. Because a lot of times people word vomit. 
And we tend to, as you know, people who take calls all day, every day, we tend to sometimes jump ahead. Like we already are anticipating what they're saying, but if you're not actually listening, you could absolutely process it incorrectly because you're not listening to what they're actually saying. Because there's sometimes, you know, when people call and they, like I just had one the other day where this person was assaulting me, but they had just taken my tires off my car. So, you know, it's two things, you know, it's all, they stole the tires, but now they're assaulting you. So it's, if you're not actually listening, you could think, oh, I'm good. They stole the tires, but that's not the highest priority here, right? We're talking about the assault. So the act of listening is super important. We also talked about tone and how tone affects conversations. So basically this caller was not being the most friendly. They were saying, you know, why do you have to ask all these questions and why are you doing this? And like I said earlier, you know, if you don't know the answer, that's okay. That kind of stuff. They were like, ma'am, I am going to ask these questions because I am required to. If you can't answer the questions, then that's okay. But I have to ask these questions. So when you have that kind of tone, all that does is set the other person off and does not make a call go smoothly. You know, it's it's hard because like we work 12-hour shifts. On hour 11, you're tired. Your patience is wearing thin. But because we work in this industry, our voice is what's being heard. So we have to be really cognizant of like how we sound when we're on the phone because that can set off someone else. We have to be mindful of that. This is one of our supervisors. Her name is Farah. She's amazing. She is one of the best at customer service. Um, and when we teach our academies, we really try to go heavy on, you know, you don't want to sound like a robot because it is easy when you're first learning the protocol because you're just reading questions. And this goes back on personalizing the police protocols, part of that is using transitional phrases because that helps make it feel less awkward, you know, when you have those gaps of silence. And so this recording we found of Farah is her, I think it was her transitioning from case entry into key questions. And she always says, she always like introduces the key questions to kind of help push in the blow, especially if someone doesn't want to answer questions. So let me go ahead and play it. Okay, no problem. Give me one moment here. I'm going to type that up and I'll have a few quick questions for you if you just can answer them the best you can for me. Okay. It's okay if you don't know the answer to any of them. You just say, I don't know as your response. So it seems like an introduction. Yeah. And it makes it easier. It makes the protocol feel more like you're just having a conversation as opposed to just reading it. Right. Instead of bop, 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 bop. It has connective tissue almost between the questions. Exactly, exactly. And we're not asking people to be Mary Poppins. We don't need them to be chipper. But part of what makes utilizing this protocol easier is transitional phrases, is kind of explaining the things that you're going to be doing. So she also does like a transition from key questions to PDIs. You know, she'll say, okay, that's it for the questions. I've got a couple instructions for you. Again, if you'll just bear with me here, if you have any questions, let me know. And then she'll read the instructions. So she's introducing these things. She's not deviating from the protocol, but she's cushioning the blow of what's next. She's enhancing them. She's enhancing the protocols. She is. Because if you think about it, right, using transitional phrases, helping the caller along in the protocol makes it go faster because they're not arguing with you. 
So sometimes when you do explain those actions, you give those transitional phrases, it almost in a sense makes the caller stop talking because they know what's coming. They know what's next. They know that they're going to have questions that they need to answer, or they know that they have instructions they need to listen to. So when you explain those things, it helps the, the whole process go much, much smoother. So the next thing that we talked about when it came to customer service was controlling the call, right? Not everyone loves to be interrupted. However, sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes you ask that, tell me exactly what happened. And they like to go, well, six years ago, my <laughs> aunt told me. And then you're like, no, 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 nope, nope, nope. I don't need to know about six years ago. <laughs> and so sometimes it's hard to kind of gauge what you could do in the protocol to kind of get those people to focus. And again, one of those things that you don't want to say to people is that you're required. And so here's a recording from my agency. And I will say the person in this recording does still work for us. However, she's made strides in her performance with the protocol and she's doing absolutely amazing. This year, I think she's actually had, I think she's had a perfect 10 for all three quarters so far. So she's been doing absolutely amazing. So shout out to her. But this was a couple of years ago for her. Mom, we're outside. Frankie, I am required to read these I'm things sorry. to you. I'm sorry. What did you hear what the caller just said at the end of that? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She said, I'm sorry. And that is so not what we want callers to say. We don't want callers to feel like they need to be sorry. So acknowledging them in that way is not a productive thing to help those protocols. So when we talk about controlling the call, that's the way we don't want to go, right? It's just a matter of, I'm so sorry to interrupt you, however, and then go into what you need to go into. Because there's a way to interrupt people without being mean. Because people do, they word vomit and, you know, they want to tell you their whole life story. And this is a good example of what to say to a caller when they're being like abusive and you're trying to get them to refocus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got got a bunch of problems. Okay, what's uh, the address? Now, if you want to um, try and run the narrative, you know, that's okay. But uh, I gotta, I gotta let you know now. Right, Denise's not talking to any member of the public. My name is Joe Schmo. Mm-hmm. I'm a YouTuber. I'm a First Amendment audio auditor. I make calls. I pull the call records and I broadcast them. So, so that recording is of a guy. So he just kept rambling and rambling and rambling, right? And in the course, what I was trying to do is get someone to give like a good example of what to say to the caller. And I don't remember what people provided, but when someone's being like rude and uncooperative, it's just a matter of not going where they are. So if they're being rude and uncooperative, we're not going to be rude and uncooperative back because it's not productive. And I wish I included more of the recording like in general, but the dispatcher in this, he basically was just like, you know, sir, I understand that you're going through something. I understand that you need help from the police. Because his thing was he he wouldn't actually say, like, his address. He wouldn't actually tell us where to go. So for us, we're like, okay, well, we need to get off the phone because obviously we need to be available for those emergency calls. So he was like, you know, I can acknowledge that you have something going on and that you would like police presence. If you cannot provide me an address, what I can do for you is have you talk to a deputy at our front desk. So instead of just hanging up, up on them and just moving on he gave him an alternative and so we have something called tru which is a telephone reporting unit which is basically just deputies at the front desk at our operations center 
who can they you know they handle walk-ins and they can handle like reports that you can do over the phone and so instead of just hanging up on the guy because he just kept calling we would just send him down to our tru department and have him talk to them especially because we have to be available for 911 calls the other thing we talked about was obvious questions which is a big one with personalizing the police protocols is if something is obvious and you don't need to ask it then don't ask it which is really hard for people in the beginning because you know we talk about asking questions exactly as written and if you don't ask a question that you're supposed to ask it's a big deviation and so a lot of times our new people sometimes have a problem not asking the obvious ones we really try to tell people you know if someone offered you the description of the person up front you get to that question you don't have to ask it you already have the information you know same in the beginning you know if if someone in case entry to the chief complaint selection question if they tell you you know some guy held a pocket knife up to my throat right you get to the question are weapons involved we know weapons are involved so we don't have to ask it because the next question is describe the weapon to me and another thing you can do is we already know what the type of weapon is right he's a pocket knife but sometimes pocket knives have like carvings on them they can be different colors you can say describe the pocket knife to me and get the description there so it's like you have to utilize the protocol in the way that it can be utilized and we find a lot of our senior people are also sometimes stuck on i need to ask all of the questions but you don't always have to ask all of the questions if it is obvious it's obvious select the answer and move on because who does it help me and you yeah, all of the information has to be gathered, but that doesn't necessarily mean all the questions have to be asked. Exactly, exactly. And so that really helps as well, moving through the protocol, because you can move through something quickly. Because again, people word vomit, especially for that, tell me exactly what happened. People will tell you everything, A to Z. You know, and I've had calls, especially like loud noise complaints, those are the best where you know, you're like, tell me exactly what happened. And they're like, oh, my neighbor directly behind me is playing loud music out of their car and it's like booming bass music. <laughs> and so you know, the only thing I'm gathering at this point is I'm gonna get the vehicle description in case exit, cause it's not gonna prompt in key questions. And then I'm done with the call. A minute and a half, we're good to go. Right, exactly. The obvious questions is another one that people really should work on because if you don't have to ask him don't ask him it makes the call go by much faster and that, that's pretty much it it was great it was a great presentation and i think a lot of people will come away from this with a lot of ideas they're going to go chat with their admin about jurisdictionally proved questions and instructions and talk about local definitions revisit things that are obvious in the protocol but kate if you could have listeners come away from this episode with just one thing what would that be? Personalizing police protocols is not just one thing. It's many things. And when you can get creative with how to make this protocol less awkward for you when you're using it, you're going to be better off. And once you realize that you can make this protocol moldable for your agency and for you as a call taker, you're just going to love it. I mean, once you really learn how to use it properly, it's a great piece of software. 
Yeah. It benefits everyone. It benefits the callers. It benefits the call takers. It really does. Well, Kate, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. We're probably going to have you back on the podcast. I don't know, maybe in another two years. We'll see. We'll see if your schedule. <laughs> we'll do it every two years. I know, right? <laughs> we'll, we'll plan out that far ahead. Yeah. But if anyone listening, if you're thinking, hey, I have questions about the police protocol or, hey, I would like to talk about this topic, go ahead and email us at dispatchindepth at emergencydispatch.org. And Kate, where can people reach you? Are you comfortable giving out your email address? I am. So my email address is C-A-I-T-L-Y-N dot W-E-L-C-H at Manatee Sheriff dot com. Perfect. And Caitlin, thank you so much. We will chat with you again soon. Yeah, I'll see you in 2025. Thanks for listening to Dispatch in Depth. Remember, it really helps if you rate and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dispatch in Depth is hosted by me, Becca Barris. I'm also the technical director and producer, and Matthew Maiko is the executive producer. 